0: All right. Welcome to episode 94 of the Apex Vaulting podcast. And today we have a great episode for everybody. I'm super pumped about it. We have two awesome guests. Um, I'm going to introduce them, let them talk about themselves a little bit for anybody who doesn't know who they they are. Um, We have Sean Francis and Colin Waitzman on. Uh, Sean, you want to give a little intro for yourself?
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh I've been uh making pole vault YouTube videos since two thousand twelve and uh wrote a book uh two years ago about called the pole vault toolbox and yeah, that's really it. Just trying to put pole vault education out into the world and, and you know, bring bring and um, bring more people together through the pole vault.
0: Yeah, Sean, you're way too modest. First of all, before we started recording, (laughs) Colin was like geeking out about how happy he was to do a podcast episode with you, uh, which I guess that leads me to Colin. Colin Waitzman, um, you want to give a little intro uh, for yourself?
2: Yeah, so I'm Colin Waitsman. I've actually I started pole vaulting in in 2012 in in high school, and I actually was a, an avid watcher of Sean's Francis uh, Sean's videos for for a while since probably like 2013 or so. So uh, I was back when uh, you had the old the old uh, Yankees hat, and now you got the new one nowadays. And um, yeah, so I I've been been vaulting for for a while. I, I have my own track and field podcast. We talk a lot about pole vault since that's my thing, and. Uh, yeah, super excited for this conversation and, and looking uh, you know, what we can do to help make our sport better.
0: I j- just out of curiosity now I have to ask, eh, Sean, h- how did you become a Yankees fan? Are you a Yankees fan or are you just like the hat?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, so it's kinda it's kinda wild. I get this all the time, especially everyone hates me unless I'm in New York. That's kind of uh my dad was drafted the yankees in the 70s oh, so wow yeah so we all grew up yankees fans and like when i was a kid i didn't even know what the symbol meant you know i just thought yeah, it was like, yeah it's something my dad wears so then uh right, right it was yeah we we were all just dressed up in Yankees stuff all the time so it's almost like a an homage to my old man you know and it's just like that's that's yeah strong. and then <laughs> and then because of that i became a yankees fan too and you know don't follow right. it as much as i wish i would but
0: yeah, yeah, that's,
1: yeah. that's kind of the story behind that
0: no, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of people are pumped to, to hear that. That's a great story, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can't, I can't even imagine. Like, I, I unfortunately, I'm probably the best athlete in my family, <laughs> which is not saying much. <laughs> we're, not, we're not an athletic family. Um, so that's awesome. Uh, so I mean, the reason I wanted to have this podcast episode with you guys. Uh, first of all, the indoor season is just unbelievable. I think if people wrote a script for the perfect indoor season, this this has to be it because the, the marks are unbelievable. It's super competitive. It's going back and forth. I feel like on the women's side especially, it's like the minute someone takes the world lead, you're like, oh, my God, she just took the world lead. It's like the next minute, the uh, the next woman takes the world lead. So it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing to see this back and forth. And, uh, you know, I kind of talked to both of you guys and I said, you know, there's a lot of things still up in the air. We're still not sure about the Olympics. Everybody's switching from Nike to Puma. Why is that going on? Does somebody know something? And and I wanted to kind of broach the topic with you guys. Is like if there wasn't an Olympics this summer, one is that as bad a news as we think it is, and two, what should the pole vault community do? You know, I, I guess I'll, I'll start with Sean. Uh, what do you think? Um.
1: I come at it kind of weird. I I think the Olympic dream is – I'm going to get a lot of crap for this, but I think it's kind of a joke, you know. Um, they make a lot of money off these athletes. And, like, for me personally, I look at the pole vault not as an Olympic sport but more like the surfing and skateboarding community where yeah. sometimes you just want to go to a club and jump, you know. It doesn't right. matter how high you are. You just want to hang out with your friends and see how high you can jump that day. And, um, mm-hmm. and what COVID showed us – was that that exists even if there isn't any meets, people still yes. want to pull, and uh, so I don't I don't think it's as important as we think it is, and um, I I mean it has I I I don't know I'm kind of torn because it comes every four years, but every year we're watching the same guys as we are right now, all jumping in the same meets, they're all jumping the same heights you know they're yeah. getting better every meet but it's the same group of guys so we see the olympics almost every single week and so um i know the older vaulters in this community are gonna hate me for this but i think the newer ones are like it's not as it's not russia versus america like it was in the soviet 80s yeah you know? it's, it's different than it is it's it's i think it's changed
0: yeah so i mean you know before colin uh, you answer the question i just to go off of what you said sean I I totally agree with you. I I remember tweeting this at least a year ago. It's like, is the Olympics, are, are the Olympics holding us back? Because like you bring up out of all the sports leagues, it's the only sports league that they have free labor like every other sports league, you pay athletes. And yes, if you get the gold, I think it's up to 30 grand or something like that. But most of the field is not getting paid. And it's like, you're, you know, almost bending over backwards to try to chase this Olympic dream. Like, I remember one time talking to an athlete, I was like, man, could you imagine if like every year there was like a pole vault championship, and the winners on the male and female side got like 50 100 grand. And the person said to me like, Oh, yeah, that would be good on non Olympic years. And I'm like, I don't know like if I had the opportunity to win like and obviously if let's say that championship 100 grand was the winning uh, prize all the way down the line there there would be prize money it's like why you know I don't know like to me it's like I, I almost feel like without it maybe people will start to open your, their eyes and like you said this past year with COVID and not having you know official high school and college meets you see this sport is surviving through the club system. You know, people do want to jump. They like having fun. They like learning about our event or even just, you know, hanging out with a bunch of friends and jumping. I think that's there and we, it it could continue to grow from there. I mean, Colin, what do you think?
2: Yeah. Uh, so I, I have a, a lot of different, um, views on it. I think that, uh, when it comes to, when you mentioned what you mentioned with the, the Olympic year thing. So I think of it, it's not Olympics, but for hockey, there's this thing, the world juniors, which is Mm -hmm. the biggest thing for people that are under like 20 years old in hockey. And, It goes on during the wintertime during like the NHL season or like right before the NHL season. And a lot of like your top players that are under 20 years old, like they just don't compete in it and they get ready for the NHL. So it's like, oh, that idea of, oh, like not during Olympic years. Well, I mean, in other sports, they don't participate in their biggest thing where you represent your country. And because they have other priorities that are important. So if there's, if you have the opportunity to make, you know, $100,000, I think I'd take that over, you know, having, being able to represent the United States. And, um, but to go to the other kind of point of how pole vault, I think can really grow, you know, outside of the Olympics, I think that the vertical jumps and the pole vault specifically has the ability to live, I think, as an individual eye sport. Like it's mm-hmm. it's interesting enough, it's cool enough, and like the duration of a pole vaulting event is like the right amount of time where you can have just pole vaulting and watching that, and that can in and of itself be, you know, a sport. It doesn't have like if you're gonna watch the hundred or the two hundred, what that 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 competition's gonna be over in what, 10, 20 seconds? That's done. But with yeah. pole vault, got like an hour, two hour competition if you wanted to have male and female, and it could live on a, in, with, that, with itself. So I think that now, especially what we saw with the the, the Garden Classic or, or whatever it was, Backyard Classic with you know the Mondo and I think what um, Renault, all them Damn. did it. Yeah, I think that shows that it's, a, it's possible that pole vault could live with itself because it's cool enough and it's interesting enough to do it. And so I think that this is starting to show that, hey, if the Olympics is canceled, pole vaulting at least like can still live on and, and grow as a sport.
0: Yeah, I, I almost view pole vault, it's like uh, sometimes movies come out and they're not so popular when they first come out. But then they have this cult following that all of a sudden, like, I don't know (laughs) if you guys have ever heard like the Big Lebowski, but they have apparently a festival every year because it's just so popular. Everybody loved that movie, but it wasn't necessarily a huge hit right away. And and pole vault definitely has that cult following. Like people who are pole vaulters really, really love it and enjoy it. And I know one of the things that I always have been uh, pushing at my club and talking about for the last few years is like this thing about like, it's not just for high school kids to get a scholarship. I think some people look at track and they look at pole vault. It's like, okay, this is our ticket for, you know, our little Sally or our little Johnny to get into this college and, and get some money. And I think the thing is like, I, even now through COVID, I've been having adult clients contacting me. I, and it's funny, uh, this, th- this woman, Kelsey came in last week. She, I, I don't think she's 30 yet, but, uh, she actually jumped in Minnesota you know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, and she came in and she had a blast. It was so much fun. Like she's so excited for this weekend. And so like it, that, that's the thing. vault does have that kind of cult following and it it can be something that's, that's more popular. And Colin, have you ever been to Reno for the national vault? I
2: wish like it wasn't, I wasn't able to scheduling wise, but and that was one event that I was like, I've always wanted to go to because it's so well, cool. I,
0: I, I think that's a perfect example that speaks to what you're talking about, Colin, where Sean, like, you know, you've obviously been to Reno a bunch of times. How could you explain to that, explain that scene and how Polvo as a standalone, it functions at Reno and how that's actually just a sliver of what it could be if we had more events like that, especially someone like Colin, who's never been to Reno.
1: Yeah, I've always described it as it's the Disneyland for pole vaulters. Like there's no better place on earth when you're there for those few days because like pole vaulters are a little weird and kind of kooky and, you know, however you want to describe them, extreme sports, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, they'll go hang upside down anywhere they can find, you know. And so you go to to a place where all of those people are all in the same building, you know, hotel, (laughs) restaurants. It gets – you just feed off that and then you're like, oh, yeah, that's that that's that feeling I love about the sport and I'm sharing it with this giant group of people. Right. And it's, there's not a lot of those, like the Texas Expos and other, I, I want to get down there and see what that one feels like. But I, I would imagine it's similar because, um, yeah, you really can't put it into words. Like, how do you explain Disneyland if you've never been there? You know, you <laughs> just think there's a giant mouse running around. You know? <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I know for me, it's just, You know, when you're in the stands and every single person is watching the competition, and you know watching like you even hear these little conversations where it's like, oh that guy dropped the pole too quick on you know too early on his carry or yeah. that guy didn't jump up or that guy's got to go up a pole and like everybody gets just so excited you know what I mean and we're all kind of providing our own commentary as we're watching it and we finally are around people that actually care because I, I I don't <laughs> know how you know your experiences guys but like I I know sometimes like I might you know come home from a big meet and maybe I want to tell my brother about it you know what I mean but he could care less like did you win that's good man congrats like he doesn't care about the decisions of going up poles, down poles. and you're around that environment and i that's why i always tell people for me i think that a big thing about displaying the pole vault to others and to bring people in the sport is to explain these little parts, you know, to have a crowd understand. It's like, okay, that person didn't clear the bar that time, but they've got a crucial decision. You know, the pole bent a lot. Are they going to go up five pounds? Oh no. What this guy's saying? maybe he's skip skipping, going up 10 pounds, big, big jump. Let's see what happens. You know, that's the stuff where it's like, now we sit back and we're waiting. Oh my God, what, what is going to happen with anticipation? And that's something that I think happens in Reno because everybody's so knowledgeable that we're all having these conversations as we watch, and then we even like peek over, we're like, "Oh, he went back into his bag. He's pulling something else out. Let's see what happens." You know. So I, I think that's where you you can really build off of it if there was even more, more events like that, but also more commentary. I think.
2: Yeah. What do you think, Colin? <laughs> yeah, I think that there are like there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity for, for growth within explaining like some of these, these things. So one, one that I can look into recently is during the American track league with Mm -hmm. um, Sandy Morris and the, the commentators like, Hey, like, it seems like every time she's going up, they're mentioning it, but like, Hey, like Sandy Morris is on longer poles, which means that, you know, this is going to be, this is something she's never done before. And it's going to be more difficult. And it's like a higher risk, high reward because she's getting ready for the Olympics. The Olympics is in a couple months. If it, you know, if it happens. And so it's like, Hey, if, if you're going to do this, it's like, this can either go really bad or this will go really well. Now they don't say it exactly like that, but that's yeah. essentially what they're saying. And it's interesting because it's like, it's saying like, Hey, she's, she's taking this opportunity, which could go really well or could go really poorly because she knows that the ceiling of getting better is, is greater. And so I was like, yeah, like, I, I mean, I don't know exactly the, the actual explaining of it. It could be better for people that don't know what that means, like what the sport is. Right. But I think right. saying that and letting people know, like, this is, this is like a meta, like tell people what the meta is in the pole vault, how it's not just, who clears the highest bar, you know, there's, there's different things going on during the competition that are pretty interesting as well.
0: So two things, right? One, I think you bring up a great example. And I wish, I feel like sometimes in track, we almost try to avoid, uh, almost controversial topics, but it's like, even that idea of like, Oh my God, she is taking a risk. She's trying to get on a bigger pole. This, this might not go well. You know what I mean? Whereas like other sports and, you know, Sean, uh, we talked about it before the podcast, you recommended, um, the documentary unchained, which is about freestyle motocross there. It's like, they're highly advertising. This is super dangerous and it's super crazy. Like these, these people are taking risks to, to put on a great show. And, you know, I don't think is on, on par with that risk wise, but you have to play that up. I mean, people are flying through the air at, you know, 16 plus feet, you know, whether it's male or female and that there is a risk there. And I I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, Hey, these people are brave. They're, they're, they're laying out, laying it all out on the line.
1: You know, that's part of what makes this sport exciting is there is a risk factor to it for sure. And I don't think it's played up enough, you know? Um, I mean, there was that push, you know, with box collars and people dying and, you know, a few years ago and it, I mean, it it happens in all sports and, you know, it's part of what, I don't know, I'm I'm a snowboarder. I jump out of airplanes. Like I like that type of stuff too. And that's what draws me to pole vault in a way too. So I think we just need to talk about that. If you move up this pole and it doesn't work, you know, you have a very, like you were saying, a very small line to either get rejected or fly into a standard or not. And that's why these athletes are as incredible as they are because they can narrow that focus and harness that energy to go the direction they want and the height they want, mm-hmm. which I don't I don't hear that being talked that way very often.
2: Yeah, yeah. One th- one thing when you bring that up, it brings me back in my memory. I can't remember the year. I think it was 2013, or maybe it was maybe it was earlier. But with um, what Stephen Hooker, the Australian pole vaulter, where the fact that the sport was so dangerous and that he almost you know, got severely injured multiple times by nearly falling and missing the pit multiple times. We had a guy who at the time, he was uh, Olympic, I think it was Olympic champion, 2008. And he was one of the top vaulters in the entire world stopped competing at the peak of his ability just retired from the company it was like the it would be for those that don't know what pole vault would be it'd be like this and when andrew luck retired from you know being a quarterback you had one of the biggest names in this in your sport retiring at, at his peak because of injury or, or or the threat of injury and it was just like all right like, keep it let's let's keep it moving we have Renault Lavillenie who's up next and has the an <laughs> opportunity to win you know back to back like wait a minute like we had you had this his biggest competition just said i'm hanging up the spikes and then he just went off in the sunset we're not going to talk about that i think it's well, something
0: that, that would be it's interesting funny that you bring up reno it's like reno the day he broke the world record was also the same day he got rejected like 20 feet you yeah, know and he
2: like and you had and he like broke his foot and like it was man it was gross <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, Sean, I mean, you know, look, you you jumped 18 plus, you've placed uh, very high at USAs. You've been to international competitions. I mean, what would you say is not like, like you brought up something that's not talked about enough is the risk, but like, what are some of those uh, intimate details that you feel like are not touched upon enough with like competition and what you as an athlete have to go through when you're at that level?
1: Yeah. I I mean, that's hard because I don't, I don't necessarily know where to go from here because like my other job is I have to know who I'm talking to my audience and I don't always know who the audience is who are speaking to like are the people watching these American track leagues pole vault people who know everything about pole vault and you can mm-hmm. talk about the numbers and the stats and hey they moved up two inches in grip and you know they moved back uh, six inches in, in run and they moved up 10 pounds of pole because they're feeling really good now whereas if you talk to somebody um, like with American track league on ESPN who's never seen the sport before they might have no idea what's going on mm-hmm. but the cool what what this kind of reminds me of is uh when there was that uh the last olympics there was renault and and uh tiago yeah and they were jumping together and there was people who i haven't talked to in years who were like i watched the pole vault and it was so cool just watching these guys go back and forth yeah. and you know he had he passed a bar i can't believe he passed a, like they were oh, yeah. they're getting in just to, to the rules and i think that kind of just gets you in and that's what I like is what's happening with American Track League is it's at least creating an opportunity for people who haven't seen the sport to be able to see it again. And I think just it's like football as you get the basics, then you can kind of dive deeper into that rabbit hole. And yeah, yeah. Figure it out. But I don't know. You can I don't know if you can start at the bottom of the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> <You laughs> no, they I just like this sports weird. And I'm out of here.
0: No, to- uh, totally. I, I I think obviously, like, there's ways to present it where you give the basics. You know, you obviously, like, it's almost like I remember UFC a few years ago. It's, like, before every fight, like, in, you know, during the whole pay-per-view, they'd be like, all right, this is a three-round fight. There's five minutes per round. This is how you score points. Just so that the 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 fan who's new knows the basics. And then, like, while it's actually unfolding, that's where I think you do throw in, like, Hey, Sean, you know, that was a big jump. Like, uh, are you making any changes for the next bar? And you're like, well, you know, like I haven't been on this pole, but I really want to try it. I think this is what I need. You know, this is where it's like, you could get that little extra in between the jumps. You know what I mean? Yeah, It's, it's like, like, you need both, you know, for yeah. sure. Yeah.
2: You have to, one thing that's like, I think that you mentioned pretty perfectly there, Sean, is like, who is the market and the target audience for us to expand? Cause I think if you want to expand within, people that are track aficionados, like for me and I'm sure both of you, like I don't care what the meat is, like when it is, like if 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 it's a good pole vaulting competition, I'm watching it. Like if I have not if I have if I have an opportunity to watch it, I'm gonna watch it. But if you want to watch, if you want to get the people that are like super casual fans, like, oh yeah, I ran track in high school or, oh yeah, like I did, I did, uh, I I go on weekend runs, like, let's take a look at what this is. And like, oh, track and field, American Trackly, that sounds interesting. Let's see. Let's take a look. Like, if you want to get that fan invested in the sport, like, I think that you got to really make it, you know, simplified of like, hey, this, this bar up there it's not, it's not five meters, 20. Like no one knows what that means. Like this is the height of your American, your average giraffe. And he's taking this stick and he's th- putting it in the ground and he's jumping over that. That's what they're doing. And they're like, yep, I know what a giraffe is. That's impressive. And then be like, good, dumb it down. And then once you, you know, as you get farther on in the competition, you can kind of use more technical terms, but I think you got to start with like really simple for a sport that's very complicated
0: I I feel like I literally could see an ESPN promo that they've done for other sports that that's like that like I could see a guy with a mic walking up to a giraffe and be like wow he goes today everyone's <laughs> gonna be going higher than this and, and then cut to like a jump you know um yeah, yeah no I I definitely think that's that's big and Here's another thought. Like you know, you Sean, you, you started the podcast by bringing up the Olympics and and how it kind of holds us back a, a little bit. Um, here's the other thing that I kind of feel like. I, I think part of the problem with producing a track meet is you have multiple sports under one umbrella. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I, I feel like as a pole vault community, we need to start thinking about ways to do it on our own because i think that that would go a long way because i think part of the difficulty with even commentating at a track me is like well you need someone that has a general knowledge of all the events but they probably don't have specific knowledge in any one event in particular and so it's going to be really hard to give in-depth uh you know commentary i mean what what do you guys think about that
1: i, I think you're right i mean the the I remember reading stuff about Sandy trying to talk about the other events at the American track league. And I, I felt so bad for her because she's a pole vaulter first, you know, and she mm-hmm. just didn't have the depth. And I think that's just super common. And that's what's happens to the pole vault all the time is you got these guys who were their high jumpers, you know, like Dwight stone or mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, some sprinters and they're just like, Oh my God, how, how they just, it's like someone seeing it new for the very first time, you know, and trying to comment on it. And so, yeah, you, I I think you're right where it it seems like there are street meets trying it's it's difficult (laughs) it's it's like there just needs to be maybe a group that gets together of clubs because they already have businesses in place you know that can help support these meets and then they already have facilities where maybe can travel and grow from there but like it's it's hard to run street meets and it's hard to run a pole vault meet at itself you know
0: right so one of the so i i have a couple of thoughts and i have an idea on how to do a meet but like um i i think the big thing and when when i hear people uh talk who let's say are trying to chase that olympic dream and they're they're willing to put you know basically 10 years of their life on hold to try to do this one of the things that i'm trying to put out as an idea is like start a club start small it could just be at the place that you train at maybe the college or the high school right and and you start building up clientele because while you're also chasing this Olympic dream, maybe you could start a business. You know what I mean? And now, you know, you start making a living off of pole vaulting while you're training and you also are, man, doing a great service by giving back to people and teaching them this, this sport and growing growing also your market. Because now by you starting that club, you're basically creating fans of you. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, let's say you're an 18 plus guy or, a, you know, a 14, six plus a woman and, you, you know, you start this club. All of a sudden you have 50, 100 clients. Well, those are actually 100 fans. They want to see you jump, you know? And one of the things that I kind of thought about was like, think about bands that play at bars, right? They they go and they, they hit up a bar. They want to do, let's say, Friday or Thursday night or whatever the case may be. Imagine like, you know, and, and everybody's got their own bar in their head that they can see in their local area. It's gotta have a big enough parking lot, but you can go to the bar and be like, listen, I think if you let us put on this meet, we can draw a lot of people in for the night. Then you cut a deal like a band does. You get a percentage of all the the drinks and food that are ordered that night, and you put on a little mini meet with the top talent in your area. I think everybody thinks super big, and they're always like, "Oh my god, we need Mondo here." And it's like, no. Even if like I remember having Chase Brandon on uh, on podcast, and I was like, Chase, he was t- saying like the indoor facility they used to train in was a short runway. I'm like, who cares? People seeing you jump 16 from short are going to be thrilled. And imagine that bar scene. It's like it doesn't even matter. Like if I was like kind of like talking to the the five guys and five girls that are going to jump that night, I'd be like, listen, it, it, first of all, compete. Like if you miss a bar, look pissed. If you, if you make a bar and you took the lead, get pumped and, and put on a show you're putting on a show. Don't worry if you don't PR tonight. That's not the biggest deal. And obviously like you let them know, it's like whoever wins gets a bigger, you know, cut of the pot, you know? And, and all of a sudden now it's like a little bit of money's coming in. You guys get to put on a little show, create more fans, and now little by little, it's like eventually it gets to the point where you don't even have to go to the bar. You could just put on an event at your club and people will come to the club to come watch. I mean, these are just some thoughts that I have of like ground level, how to, how to grow it, you know? No, they're, they're great ideas. Like, uh,
1: so there was this meet in Minneapolis a couple of years back called Brit's pub. And yeah, so and for people who don't know, they put a raised runway on top of a, a bar uh, that they had lawn darts up there, but right in the middle of Minneapolis. And then it, literally right next to it was the whole bar and people would just walk in from the streets, downtown Minneapolis going, Saw some guy flying through the air on top of this thing. And they'd have a drink and they would sit down on the lawn, just like yeah. it would blow their mind. And so with that idea, there was this, so I'm, I'm, I'm coming around on this, I promise you here. So we were in Arizona at another time and they had a rodeo right behind the bar. So you could pay 10 bucks and you could get your drunk friend on a bull and they could just see how long they could stay on. Right. Yeah. yeah. People would come just to watch people try to ride this bull. So like I, I I had this idea, like, why can't you just have a pole vault meet every single day of the week (laughs) while while people come to the bar and check it. There's like so many ideas that could work. I think a lot of us are just so stuck into that, that, olympic almost idea like we have right. to do it for this and this is the school and this is our sport and just it's going to take a couple people to kick down the door and try something new and show that it works you know so Yeah, it's yeah. I, drastically different like jumping on a skateboard
2: <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> that was, uh, I was ahead, say, that was a that was a great that was a great trend back when it was going on a couple years ago like and so i think it's like uh looking at the pole vault differently as an art form because it's you know it is in in certain aspects. Like I remember when Renault he did he was literally hurdled over like what three hurdles while he with the pole and then he pole vaulted and then yeah, he did yeah, a yeah. backflip into the pit, pit. And I'm just like, what it like? What is I, I first I can't hurdle. Two I can't do a backflip. <laughs> three, I can't vault 16 feet. So you did three things I can't do. And I've been doing this sport for years. And then now you, you show this to someone who's never seen this in their life. They're going to be like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever witnessed. So I think using it as a, as a, an art form to be able to show like, Hey, you don't have to be yeah. Mondo. You don't have to get someone that has appearance fees to make this be a cool sport. If you want, if I remember when I was in um, when it did Winston Salem Street Vault way back in the day, like 2014. I think you actually were there. I tried to get yeah, me. I was there. I was
1: at that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: like I remember it was super cool because like you have you're in the middle of a the street. There's like bars all over the place, and you have random people just walking down the town. Like, wait, what the what what the heck is this? I just saw someone jump over that light post essentially, and then now they're stopping and watching it. And then yeah. maybe they see they go up to the person at the DJ desk saying, "How can I get involved in this? Or how can I get my son involved in this? Or daughter involved in this?" And then now you got to connect your, your newest person in your club. Like I think that's it's using it in public spaces so people can be exposed to it and they can actually see. Wow, that person just jumped over what would be you know the the traffic light. That's incredible. Like I think having that and not really saying, Hey, if you're not, if I don't have an Olympic gold, I'm not worth even being a professional. Like, you know, there's right. so many ways you could be a professional vaulter making more money than someone that is, you know, trying to go for Olympic gold,
0: I think. No, you, the opportunity thing is huge. And even just listening to you talk about, like, the different ways to jump, like, kind of make it a skills competition, almost like an all-star game for pole vault.
2: Yeah, like and a dunk something contest. Something like
0: that's <laughs> like, you can have that happen before the main comp. You know what I mean? It's like a yeah. skills portion, and then, then the rest of the people jump for, for, for height. But, yeah, there, there's so many opportunities, and I think – kind of going back to that Olympic thing, I think part of the thing that holds people back too is like, they're like well, if the marks aren't gonna count, I don't wanna compete. What if I hit a high mark? Yeah. And my, my thing is, I've always said it's like, listen, if you hit a high mark and you're at a meet that doesn't, you know, it doesn't count, well, don't worry. You'll hit it when it matters. I mean, why wouldn't you hit it again? If, if you're good enough, you'll hit it again. I, I don't know that that's always been my impression, but I think that that's something that holds people back too. Cause they're like, they're so worried if they hit a big mark and it doesn't count. And I, and I feel like that holds people back from competing, you know? I mean, what, what were the things that you would hear Sean, when you were jumping? Like, why would some people go to certain meets and why wouldn't they go to others? Like, what were the things that were holding people back from competing more?
1: Uh, money and marks, like it, it's really that simple. Like uh, you, you we're struggling. Like I'm not <laughs> not pole vaulting anymore, but when I was, you're struggling just to figure out. All right, I need a thousand bucks for a plane ticket, and you know another couple hundred bucks for a hotel, and then food, and then if I win, I can pay for all of that, and if I don't, I'm gonna be in the hole for a while, and then who knows what I'm doing next week? And there's wow. a lot of that going on, so. Um, I really do think it's a lot of the money kind of as I know there's the Olympic gold and, the, and that's a cool gold chase and it's really awesome and, and it's old and it's, it's it's, it's just kind of in our blood, you know, as Americans and things like that. But there's that other side where, hey, it'd be cool if I can do the thing I love and have it, you know, pay my way of life at the same time and if and I think having Olympic medals gives you a lot more opportunities to make that money. But if there was more opportunities to make money for these elites or clubs or anything else like that, then I think people would go, well, there's only three Olympic medals, but there's a ton of meets we can go to. (laughs) So they might change the way they're, you know, digesting that information.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, to me, I feel like the answer is like thinking locally Like we, again, we always think so big in the pole vault community. We're thinking about the Olympics. We're thinking about even like something like Reno, like we need more Renos, but it's like to have more Renos, even we have to have more local events. And if you can get more local support, then it's like, there's opportunity to do bigger events more often. But I think it's, it's got to start locally. And I think that's the thing. Like, imagine if like, instead of getting on a plane and having to fly to a meet, it was like. No, like, you just drove 20 minutes down the road to the local place and you jumped. And sure, if you won, that was awesome, but it didn't cost you much to go. And maybe there's more prize money for a little bit further down than just winning. And then it makes more financial sense even because I think you're bringing up a good point. It's like the money is what stops a lot of people. Like I can't, I, I, I can't remember all the names of people that were like on the cusp that had to stop because of the financial aspect.
1: For sure, and I was lucky. My parents let me live with them, rent free, for years. You know, yeah. And but you know, and then I knew that I had to jump at least 19 feet to get uh, some kind of a sponsorship. And then you find out they're not as great as you like. They they make it out to be. <laughs> so yeah. then, like that, really oh, was gosh. like, well, if I if I can't jump 19 feet tomorrow, I'm gonna find other ways to you know um connect with know people and maybe show them a the side of the sport that isn't around and that's how the vlog just kind of kept going the way it was like yeah. no one's showing this look how cool this is you know look what's going on in the hotel room behind the scenes you know look how we're you know trying to sleep but we can't because we were in an ice bath until 2 a.m you know like that kind of stuff so like I, I I didn't really have the business sense at the time but I just knew that I couldn't do it the old way I had to find some other way you
0: know no and and I think that's that's that, that's why I think the public community owes a lot to you because you got people to start thinking different. I know I, you know, I've told you, Sean, like you made me think differently about social media. Cause I, especially, I, you know, especially five, definitely 10 years ago, I was like, so not on social media. I would like never post, <laughs> never think about right. it. It's just whoever's in front of me and that's it. Right. But in order for the sport to get bigger and even for you to give opportunities for yourself, like, you know, one of the things that I'm going to do once we kind of wrap our, Wrap up our conversation is. I got some fan questions that I would love for you guys to answer. Is that that's even just a huge thing for me? Is like that people reach out now from all over the country asking questions, and I'm able to help those people. Which also, and and again, I know some people don't like to talk about it, but that creates business opportunities too. That's why, I like you know, you've done uh, clinics and camps. You know, um, I, I've been able to do uh, do a bunch of stuff, and I think even just locally because of my social media, it brings more people into the club because. Now it's like the parents don't have to even worry about well, what does this place look like? How does he coach? Like they just go on YouTube. They can see what we do at practice. Um, and Colin, I wanted to ask you, I was thinking about this earlier, but this connects to what I'm saying right now. It's like, you know, you started this, this track world news podcast, also innovators anonymous, uh, innovators, anonymous. You know, what what has been what has it been like for you? Have you been getting more listeners? Are people enjoying it? What's your feedback? Because I think, you know, obviously Sean, you've gotten amazing feedback over the years. People have loved what you've put out there. You know, wh- what are you hearing Colin from from your your fan base?
2: Yeah, it's been um it's been exciting. It I've I've enjoyed it mainly because like I just love talking about track and field and I really wanted to to get involved with it. There's a lot of vlogs or or whatever that I have or commentary that I watch on YouTube of other athletes doing other sports. Um, so I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to do that, but you know, do my own thing with it. And yeah, I've had, I've had some, some pretty good responses to it recently. I've, I've done fairly well. We went from, uh being an unranked podcast to ranked 75 in, in the United States for, for running, which was, wow. which was really cool. Uh, so it, it's, it's been improving, uh, ever so slightly. And, and yeah, I've, I've had a few people that are not only just listeners that I've never met and have no idea who they are that have messaged me saying, Hey, like, I really enjoy what you're doing. And like making it be someone that's not like, you know, my buddy that I made listen to my, my podcast, but it's actually someone that's like, yeah, this guy like lives in California and he just found my show and he's like, yeah, it's super cool. It's awesome. And then I've also had something else that's cool is our athletes that are actually currently running. Like I've recently had a few professional hurdlers that have, uh, and other runners that have been on guests on my show. And they're like, I love that. You know, we don't just have the big major companies. I'm sure you know who they are that cover our sport. Um, and then you're, you know, we have some of the smaller guys and like you talking about me saying, yeah, you're, you're bringing new light to our sport and I really appreciate it. And so it feels good. Um, I mean, it's, it's a very small uh, market right now. Hopefully, yeah. expanding, but it's it's nice to see that you know, I'm getting you know getting some good constructive criticism and and slowly growing over time. But I, I think there's huge opportunities because like go, going off on a little bit on a tangent, like running just itself is the biggest like market that pretty much like almost everyone does like I'm sure every one of us have like three or four or five friends that are like oh yeah I love to go out on runs every single morning okay I'm like that's fantastic who's your favorite runner uh I don't know (laughs) but if someone's like oh yeah I love to go play basketball I shoot hoops every single day okay who's your favorite basketball player oh LeBron James Oh, Kevin Durant, like, wait a minute. Like, so you go running every single day, like, or you just play basketball on the weekend. You have your favorite basketball player. You don't have a favorite runner. Like, I think there's, uh, there's areas of opportunity to be able to connect the two that I think that have gone lo- long overdue for various reasons, but th- that that's on another tangent that I'm sure. Well, could,
0: I, could. I think you bring up something that, that that's huge and, and something I've thought about a lot. I, I do feel like sometimes in, in the track world, because like you said, running itself is so, so popular. But the thing is, the sport isn't really that popular because people can't no. name any runners. And I think sometimes even in the public community, I don't think people realize that it's like if they really want to get their name out there, they've got to do more stuff like they've got to go on your podcast, you know, they've got to go on other people's podcasts. They've got to put themselves out there and the more we put ourselves out there, the more fans uh, that, that we will have. I mean, I think Sean, you're you're a great example. I mean, like how many fans did you have over the years while you were jumping and, you know, it's not you didn't break the world record, you know what I mean, but it's like you you're a huge name, you know. I, I what what could you say about that, Sean? I mean, like reflecting back and like you said you you knew you had to do it differently than everybody else you know that that gave us the reason why you did it, but what did you notice what happened because you started the vlog
1: yeah, uh <clears throat> well like i I met people like Colin, you know <laughs> he he was taught i mean he, he was just. You just meet a lot of people you wouldn't have been able to meet in the first. It just opened a lot of doors you know I, like uh my wife and I got married uh, two years ago this summer, mm-hmm. and I would say half of the people I invited were people I've met through the vlogs, which is insane yeah. to think about like mm-hmm. they were like they saw me at Reno, they came up, they wanted to do a camp, and then I stayed at their house, we got real close, and then it was like, "Oh my God, you need to come to my wedding. you know like that right. wouldn't have happened. me and you met because of the vlog too, you know right and, right um. So it, not just from a, a fan business sense, but for me, it's been really, um, just cool bringing more people like me around me, you know, like, uh, it, it just attracted the right, the right people. Um, and just to touch on Colin's thing about runners, it it's interesting because we were talking about earlier about how we have surfers and skateboarders and I think pole vaulters kind of in that category Mm. runners can name their favorite type of shoe before they could name their favorite type of runner. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So that's, that's the difference. Like a a pole vaulter could name their favorite pole vaulter. Probably, you know, it's probably Mondo right now, (laughs) Mm. Mondo or Sandy, you know, are are probably the two most popular male and female pole vaulters. But I, I think running is more, um, it's, it's just a whole different sport altogether. So like, I don't know if they pay as much attention to the elites as like pole vault community does, or the throwers, or even the high jumpers. They're going to want to. How is this guy jumping? What's the style? There's a technical side to it instead of just a a grit. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any, any sense.
2: Someone, someone I think is really. I mean, you mentioned Mondo. I think he's doing fantastic, especially recently. I think he has the potential to kind of escape just the the pole vaulting world. I mean we saw the like, looking at just recent things just what yesterday 2 days ago when he had a filter on Instagram from Red Bull yeah. like <laughs> that's that's crazy. Like that's crazy exposure that you're having. You know, one of the biggest energy drink companies, one a pretty a very big company and well known, especially in the ex- the extreme sports realm, is giving you a filter. You know, on on Instagram, another huge platform. And then he also is um, he has the the documentary that should be coming out. That hopefully it'll. Be, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. You know, the, the Born to Fly documentary. And on top of that, he's also just so happens to be a super great pole vaulter that is, you know, number one, in the world. And he's also like pretty relatable too. I mean, he looks like, you know, he looks like your average, you know, your average guy He does. He's not like a, a giant, massive person. Like, Oh, I can't relate to him. It's like, Oh no, I look like that. I could wait. He can do that. That's incredible. So it's like, I think he has an opportunity to really break out of this pole vaulting, like world because he markets himself really well. Like you had mentioned, like you have to do other things and he's doing other things and he's reaping the benefits of him, you know, putting himself out there and actually, you know, Hey, let me, you know, let me do these other interviews or, you know, let me allow this documentary to happen. So I think that's something that's super positive uh, and hopefully we'll open up other doors for other vaulters that may not be world record holders, but, but are also, you know, maybe have an interesting backstory on their own.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think that that's super important is finding ways to connect with people, you know, like, like Sean said, whether it's like just personal connection and and making lifelong friends, which I think is very important, but but then also just to grow the sport too. And the more people you can connect with, you never know how it comes back. Like I heard someone give this analogy. They're like, uh, sometimes people think about like helping out, like in the wrong way. They're thinking like, oh, it's like a, a throwing a med ball against the wall. If I help someone out, it comes right back and I get help back right away. He goes, no, think of it like throwing the med ball over the wall and that med ball never comes back. But maybe a year later, five different med balls come back over the wall. And that that's the thing, I, I, I feel that far too often, like sometimes even some of the ideas that we've talked about, you know, like opening a, up a club, coaching some athletes, whatever people start and because they don't reap a reward like right away, they're like, oh, this isn't working. But it's like, it's going to take time. You know, it's going to take time. Like I'm sure even like, you know, Colin and uh, Sean, I mean, both of you can speak to this, but when you both started, like you started your podcast, Colin and Sean, you started the vlog. I, I don't know. Like, was it immediate? Like, did you guys get all of a sudden like big numbers right away? And I'm sure in the beginning, I know I thought this with a lot of my social media stuff, I'm like, why am I wasting my time? Like I could be doing something else right now. Like I don't have to be recording a podcast. I don't have to be making this drill video progression. You know, I mean, how, how did you guys feel when you first started this stuff? Because for me, I, I hope that what I really want to do with this podcast episode is I hope it inspires others to do more stuff like this. You know, so it's, it's more, more than just a handful of people that are kind of creating content.
1: Yeah, we, we, I, I always wondered why there wasn't more vlogs, like pole vault vlogs out there. There's there's a few, they make it like six episodes and then they're done. And I get it, video editing and like all and storytelling and, you know, filming your life is not easy and it's time consuming. Yeah. But like the motivation for me, always came from. So I know I told this in one of your other podcasts, but I started the vlog initially because I left, I, I went to school in Fargo, North Dakota at NDSU. And there was a group of kids there I was working with for four years while I was up there. And then when I came down to Minnesota to train, there was like this guilt in me that I just left these kids, you know, and before they could graduate. So I was like, I'm going to make a video every week, show them what I'm doing and hopefully like inspires them to keep training, you know, yeah. and then I can stay in touch. And then from that, like, I had no idea the pole vault community would jump on board and they didn't right away, but you know, all of a sudden there was like 30 views and the next week there's a hundred. And then, you know, you see your first hundred views on a video, you're just like Hundred people. You think of that many people in a room, and it kind of like blows your mind. Like <laughs> that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And then it just kept growing from there. And then you know, people start sharing it on websites and things like, that, and it just grows. But it for me, um, it didn't feel like a lot of work most of the time. It just felt like, oh, look what I get to share with everyone. This is I've, I got some weird footage this week, or this is going to be fun to. to sh- <laughs> I got a new fart joke I want to test out. yeah. <laughs> so, um. I think that's the difference. If you go into anything looking for extrinsic motivation right off the bat, it's probably doomed to fail. But if it's coming from an internal place where even if you can't name what it is, but you just, there's, there's a saying called Cottywample. I don't know if you guys have ever heard it, but it means, it means um, passionately going in an unknown direction. So like you, you're just going and you don't know where it's going but you're going to trust that kind of gut feeling yeah and so that's i've operated best when i operate from there versus trying to figure out the business sides of things and you know marketing and whatever that that just when i operate authentically things just seem to work out and then that's the reward in itself Is i enjoy doing it
2: yeah it's um I've since I'm I'm still fairly new in the the podcasting thing still haven't hit a, a year officially yet well, it will in a few months um yeah it's like I thought when I was going to do it, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to have my first few episodes. I'm going to be probably top 20 in the charts, like within the first, like two, three weeks, I'll probably have like 5,000 people at least listen to every episode okay. and maybe like 20 or 30% of them will want to give me $10 a month to listen to, you know, extra <laughs> stuff like, and then I'll be great. And that's, and that's just when I get started, I'll probably be making $30,000 by the end of year too. And then like very quickly, I was like, oh no, <laughs> that's not even remotely close. <laughs> To what I thought it was going to be like, and it was a, it was very quickly that I realized, okay, like, don't like, don't be doing this like for extrinsic motivations. Like, let me, I want to talk to the people that I want to talk to that I think are interesting. And then I want to talk about the, the interesting topics within our sport that I enjoy. And of course, I'm going to you know make sure that I reach out to my audience and say, Hey, is this stuff that you like having? Like, should I continue? Like, and, and obviously view numbers will tell you pretty quickly. It's like, Oh, that, that got, you know, half the views I normally get. Maybe let's adjust things here. Or, oh, this episode did really well. Let me, you know, look at that, look at that again. So I think once I've very quickly, because it happened after like two episodes, got it out of my head that okay, you're not gonna blow up and be the next pot big thing. You're not gonna be Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, no. Once I realized very quickly I'm not gonna be Joe Rogan, I was like, okay, let me let me go back to doing exactly what I want to do and and having doing it because you know I like to create content. And it's just been so much more rewarding not being like I need to have fifty thousand views in five hours or this is a waste of time. And once I've figured that out, I was like, Yeah, I, I enjoy this a lot more.
1: It's so easy to get trapped on the numbers. Like yes. I used to do that too. Oh man. Mm-hmm. It's it's rough. Like I, I had to just turn I had to put a lock on my computer at one point, so I couldn't look at the stats. It was
0: bad. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Well, so what's interesting too, is like, I I always think it like, you have to, you have to be trying to think about who you're trying to help and what they need. Like you said, it's like, okay, well, one, you enjoy doing this track podcast. So you're going to focus on the things that you like to do. And then as you notice what people start to like, you're like, oh, okay. Like, let me do more of that because it's, they're enjoying it more, right? Like I've always thought about my coaching in that way. It's like, okay, like I'm trying to make sure that every person that comes in has the best time that they can have jumping, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, when I first went full-time with the business, I had already had like about 30, 40 clients. Um, And in 2010, I started the club in this facility in Oakland, New Jersey, which it was like maybe 34,000 square feet. It was a big turf area and they had a strip of, of track. And that's, that's where the pole vault area was. And I gave those guys a percentage of whatever I brought in. And this is so crazy, right? But this is the type of person I am. I'm like one, even like, forget about my clients, the owners of that building or that business. I was like, I need to show them that I'm valuable. So I did what most people would never do. I lied and said, I made more money than I did the first (laughs) year. I (laughs) give them a bigger cut. (laughs) Um, But with by the end of that year, because I I would just, I was coaching every single day, you know, even if it was just one person showing up that day, I didn't care. And I would even like, I would advertise all these hours. And I would just sit there if nobody showed up, I would just sit there and wait for the next session where there was maybe one or two people coming. And I was just always there. And and by the end of that year, yeah, I, I had about 70 80 clients. And I was in there year round. And I remember some of the coaches in that, That facility, they started coming up to me and they're like asking me like, Bronco, how did you get your clients? Like, what was the trick? Like, did you send an email blast? Did you send postcards to houses? Like, you know, did you put flyers in a a mall parking lot? Like, they all wanted to know some kind of like easy trick, right? Like 5,000 people and you know, you'll get 100 clients. And it's like, no, not at all. I mean, first of all, I think most of my business has always been word of mouth, you know what I mean? And it's just making sure that the person in front of me has a great time. And I remember in particular, they had a couple guys coming in who were ex-New York Giants, right? They're these NFL guys and, you know, they would get clients at first just because they were NFL guys. But, right, you have this big NFL guy, used to NFL stuff, and he's got maybe 10 kids that are ranging from eight to 12 years old. And the complete lack of enthusiasm these guys had to work with those kids because they wanted to work with like high school football players and get them ready for college. And it's like, no, they got this. And instead of giving those kids a great time, it's like that group of 10 turned to eight. A couple weeks later, it turned to like six couple weeks later, it was three. And then it was like, those guys would leave the facility. They weren't coaching anymore. And so again, like, I, you know, and I don't want anybody to uh, mistake what I'm saying. Like, I, I think obviously I do talk about business and I do talk about having uh, maybe a little bit more business sense, but I, I agree with both of you and especially Sean, you've got to be serving others. Like you've got to be trying to provide people a great experience. And that has to come from a place where you enjoy doing it. Like I love coaching pole vault. I mean, heck, I wish there were more big pole vault events. I wish there were more pole vault meets. Uh, Cause even I'll tell you what, like, I, and I'm sure Sean, we've talked about it over the phone, like the pole vault club championship meet that I've had at my club the last couple of years, obviously not this past summer, but you know, we have a DJ, a food truck, there's over hundred competitors. We're managing the standards and you know, I have people working the front desk and this and that it, I love it and I'm grateful but it is a bear. It is oh, hard. <laughs> that if someone else would do it, I would just bring my club to it. But we just... I what I was finding over the years is there's not enough of that, you know. So I'm just almost to me, it's like I think of everybody being a pole vault nut like I am, and like trying to provide me with more experience, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think you nailed it, man. Well, and talk about your meat too. Like you, you do it right. I, I've had like a bunch of people come up like I'm going to that meet because did you hear about the belt you get if you win the thing (laughs) or where else do you get where else do you get a belt like that instead of like a little trophy you know that ends up breaking on the way home so
0: yeah
1: yeah, but it, it really always it seems like it always comes back to just good relationships and you know helping people I mean that's what all good businesses are built on I think is uh providing or Helping a a need, you know, or accomplishing a need, helping somebody, you know, accomplish that versus, you know, there are businesses out there that'll trick you, but they don't last very long. Right. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I think I don't know any pole vaulter in this sport that is trying to just make money quick. (laughs) It's it's not going to happen. Right. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. That's Uh, something I was going to say something else that's like super difficult with our sport is like the upfront cost. If you're trying to start everything from new, is insane. Like my favorite thing to do when I was in high school would be like my friends would like say, like, oh, like how much, like, oh, that's a nice pole. I'm like, yeah, don't mess with it. And they're like, why? Just like get a new, like, I'm like, take a guess how much you think this like 14-foot, you know, tube of fiberglass is. And they're like, probably like 60, 70 bucks. I'm like, <laughs> Not even close. Like try, like you know, timesing that by four or whatever. yeah, and I need like, eight of them. <laughs> yeah, and so it's like the price is—it's like the price of admission can be super high, and so a lot of the times, like you get a lot of areas, especially underprivileged areas, where in high the high school might not be able to fund. Uh, pole vaulting or they might have a pit from the 70s where if you land in the center you're going to hit the ground and it's not safe or they can only have three poles and one of them's a 12 a 12 foot 130 and then the next one's a 15 foot 180 and so then you just got kids you know using inefficient things and so it's that's another thing that's super hard about our sport and i don't know how you could lower you know the price of admission because i mean it's their expensive products to make to begin with, but that's one thing that stinks. Cause it's like, it's like, Oh, I want to, you know, get involved in this sport. Okay. Well, you're going to have to, you know, if you want to buy if you want to have a pole vault pit in your backyard, I hope that you, you have a, you know, a spare $90,000 for you to get everything, probably more than that. You're going to have to have, you know, a plethora of money to be able to have, you know, a full setup. So it's like, Super difficult for certain people that are interested, but you know, might not be able to.
0: That's why I'm so big on like the whole club system because I think, one, the for the person who's the club owner, you can make a living, you know, owning a club and running a club, um, and that way the club kind of helps uh, pay for all that and everybody just pays their their piece, right? Yeah. And, and I'm really big too, like sometimes I hear about clubs that are charging like super big amounts of money and I'm like, no, that's not the way to do this. Like you want to make this as cheap as possible and try to charge on par with something like a CrossFit gym, right? If you're on par with the price of something like that, you know, I mean, CrossFit's already showed that that price point, it works and, and you're going to get clients and people are going to want to do it. And I mean, not for nothing. I, I mean, I guess I have a biased opinion. I think pole vaulting's more fun than CrossFit, but you know what I mean? Like that that's what I, I, I think about that. And uh, the other thing that I'll bring up and like you bring up underprivileged uh, schools uh, uh, and this is a great idea for anybody who has a club or even if you don't have a club, you could definitely start advertising this. We started a couple of years ago, our rent-a-coach program at Apex, where an Apex coach will go to a high school. Um, we just charge a hundred dollars a day, but obviously you can figure out whatever's a fair price for you. Um, and we go to the high school, we'll bring polls even if need be, and we coach the kids. I mean, one high school, they almost did it like a tryout the first day I showed up. They had 50 kids try pole vault and let me tell you that's different than coaching 10 kids at a practice session. But yeah. we did it and so many kids got a chance to try pole vaulting and then they kind of the the team itself weeded it down to like 10 kids and they stuck with it. But it's like we've as a club we've now formed relationships with numerous high schools. Numerous high schools that never before would have had pole vaulters are now experiencing pole vault. Those kids have joined our club as well, which is awesome. Um, and now these these high school track teams and coaches don't view the club as a negative. Like, oh, that's that private coach; he just wants your money. It's like, oh no, Broncos great, Apex is great. Like they help us out, and na- now it changes that um, perception. And, you know, I'm, I'm really big. I mean, like in New Jersey, like, uh, you know, the Newark schools, I've, i developed relationships with those coaches and they know they, they hit me up whenever they have a kid that wants to try pole and they know they have a home at apex, which now those kids get to try the sport, which they obviously end up enjoying uh, a lot. One of my guys that, that was from Newark, he now coaches himself and he's coaching a couple of college kids, you know, so that mm-hmm. that's amazing, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to get into it. Like I've heard a lot of people go, well, I was coaching out of high school. I asked the high school if I could run a summer track program. So I built enough money to buy three more poles that summer. And then the yep. next, We did it again the next summer and then we've got three more poles and all of a sudden we have a line of poles. So now I have enough money to charge and get more kids in there. And then that's just kind of how the money grows until you're like, well, now we just need a pit. Well, because I've been doing this the last couple of summers, I have enough for a pit and a facility. Or right. they stick it in their backyard, which is what a lot of people start yeah. off doing. Yeah. And then they build uh, some kind of a facility where, you know, you can add the weights and, you know, you have like what you have, you know, Bronco. And um, yeah, the, it, it does have an expensive entry, but at the high schools have been really, I haven't heard of a lot of high schools who, are, who say no to something like that. They're like, yeah, if, you, if you're going to pr- provide opportunities for kids to continue to do sport. Yes. Yeah. Well, what do I have to do? Do I just have to get out of your way? You just have to sign this. You know that you're not going to kill anybody. All right. Cool. You sign yeah. it. <laughs> okay. So I, there's there's a lot of ways to do it. It's uh, and it does take a lot of time. But you know, people just need to start. <laughs> yeah. There's no there's no good time to start except right now. Right. You know,
0: that's what I've figured over the years. Uh, did anybody have a topic that they wanted to cover that we haven't covered yet?
2: No, I just like talking to you guys,
0: so I'm yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, like- I, w- I wanted to go to some of these fan questions. If if you don't, ha- Colin, did you have something else you wanted? No, to bring?
2: I was to I was gonna say, yeah, I think we've got. I, I'm sure if if I sat here long enough, I could think of a ton of things. But yeah, let's get into the the questions. Let's uh let's answer what the people want to know.
0: Sure. Um. So first question. Um, this comes from a high school. Walter. He, he asked. I have a question: Is it beneficial for athletes to watch pros and top tier athletes how they jump during their meets to learn uh, to learn in their free time, or will it hurt them? Like, is watching professional pole vaulting going to help or hurt a high school athlete? What do you guys think?
1: Can we go first? Yeah, you I, can start I think them. it. I think it helps for sure. Um, it shows there's a lot of variety. One to jump, and then it. To me, it gives you some mental reps, right? So um, I I got my master's in biomechanics, and there was a section of that time where I had to do sports psychology, and there was this uh, research paper I remember reading where they go, if you can watch something long enough, like if you think about doing a bench press, you will get stronger even if you don't do the bench press. It was insane because the neural connections were connected to make you be able to fire uh, your muscles faster based on that. So the same idea happens is, um, visualizing other people jumping will help kind of put that technique and download it into your brain a little bit, whether you can do it or not is a whole different story, but at least right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it is beneficial. I, uh, I don't know. I think was part of the question, add a meat. I, I wouldn't do it at a meat, but <laughs> I don't know yeah, if I heard yeah, that yeah. part. Yeah. You, I might've heard, I might've heard that might wrong. Been a
0: typo or something from, uh, okay. From yeah. Audience, so yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not out uh, of meat, but yeah, do so it. <laughs> Watch yeah. other Walters.
2: Yeah, I would say it, it's definitely extremely helpful. Like, like, um, at all, not every single one of my practice, but a lot of my practices in, in high school, not as much high school. Cause I was at the club, like, so yeah. So actually, yeah, when I was at clubs, I did. And then especially in college, cause I, I think of it mostly in college, like we would have like videos where it would be like coach's eye video of me. Vaulting, and then right next to it would be you know another vaulter that does whatever skill I'm trying to improve really well. So it's like okay, here's a here's a vaulter that has a really good takeoff. Here's a vaulter that has a really good invert, or you know whatever it is. And so it'd be like, hey, this is a skill that I need to improve on. Let me watch someone that does it as a, at an extremely high level, so I can try to replicate or emulate that. In whatever way my body type will allow, because this is someone that clearly does it very well if you're competing, you know, at the world stage. So yeah, it's it's extremely helpful. I would guess if you'd say where it could potentially be hurtful would be like if you're trying to replicate something that your skills just not even close to doing, like if you're, if you're currently straight pole vaulting, (laughs) there's no reason that you're like, Oh, like I need to have this big, huge takeoff like Bubka does, uh, because, uh, you know, he does it and he jumps high. It's like, well, if you try to do a big takeoff and on a straight pole, you're, it's going to be difficult so it's like, know, where you currently are at, like, and then you look at skills that they do like, Hey, it, don't look at a, a full jump from Bubka when you're straight polling, look at a straight pole vault that he does and try to emulate that skill. So it's like, com- watch like for like, because if you try to watch, you know, one skill and it's a different thing, it's going to be like, you're it's, it's just not going to work out. So make sure you're, you're comparing, you know, like for like, I would say.
0: Right. And and it's got to be like progressive. I think too often, it's like someone who's a beginner vaulter is like, I got to look exactly like this person jumping 19 feet. And it's like, right, but you're jumping nine, six. So it's like, like that, it's similar, not maybe exactly the same. And yeah, I I totally agree. I think, I think the more jumping people watch, the better their eye gets. Like, here's the thing, like, like Colin's bringing up, it's like, if you, let's say you're trying to work on your takeoff or jumping up at takeoff, whatever, whatever the case may be, it's like, well, do you know what that looks like? Can you point it out in other vaulters? Can you see when other people maybe aren't hitting it as well? You know, and who's better or worse? Like if I, you know, it's like, like this week, I even, I had some professional vault video that I I took from Instagram and I was like showing the club kids. I'm like, all right, who here, you know, has, has the best takeoff, you know, you guys pick right? Because people are better and worse. And it was great to see how it's like, they started to identify the, the the precursors like, okay, this one's doing this. And that's why their takeoffs better. This one's doing that. And that's hurting their takeoff. And it's great, because you can see their mind working. And so the more video you watch, and the more you can kind of take it apart, I, I, I think the better. So I, I think yeah. we're all Yes, it helps you
2: become self aware, and the more self aware you are in any aspect of life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even have to be pole vaulting. But the more that you're self aware of what you're doing, it's gonna, it's only gonna help you improve. Like I, there were so many times where I would jump and I'd be like, I know that I had a bad takeoff because I could feel it because I've watched it a million times, done the right way. And so, like I watched it done a million times, done the right way. I do it. My coach says, you know that feeling that you just had? That's the right feeling. And so when I do it and I don't have that feeling, I'm like, that's the wrong feeling. So then you don't even need the videos at certain points. They're helpful, but you'll know, like I did it wrong because I watched it done right. I knew what it felt to do it right. And I didn't get that same feeling. So they're extremely helpful, especially.
0: Yeah. I I tell athletes that all the time. That's a skill in and of itself is like when you could watch someone and you'd be like, oh, I know how that feels because some people are more (laughs) talented with that, you know? Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I'll go to the next question. So uh, this is a college athlete. He asked, uh, I have a good one for this. What's more important in everyone's opinion, uh, speed or technique in the air, i.e. flyaway push-off? So I, the way I'm interpreting this is what's more responsible for your push-off, you know, your speed or your technique? What do, you, what do you guys think?
2: I know I got a quote from one of Sean's videos that speed is the enemy of technique. Uh, so, uh, I remember that from a while ago and, uh, that's that. it's true, but you, you need to have a certain amount of speed. You need to be as, you want to be as fast as you can be under control because the faster you get, the more control you lose, but also the slower you get, the less, you know, the, the smaller poles you're going to be able to be on and the less energy you have going into the vault. So it's like a mixture of both, but if I were to say, would you rather be extremely technically sound, but God slow, or extremely fast, but have terrible technique, I'd rather I'd rather be slow, but technically gifted, because one, that's safer, because you're under control better, uh, and two, I'd say you, there, there are ways you can jump higher by having good technique, and it's easier to get faster than it is to be more technically sound, but... Yeah.
0: Yeah. See, I disagree. I'm a slow guy, so I'd much rather be really, really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead,
1: Sean. Yeah. I might, I, I, if we're, if the result is just getting a lot of pop off the pole, I would choose speed over technique. I think I've seen so many multi-event athletes and I've coached a lot of them over the years where zero technique, but super fast. And they almost did a barrel roll backflip over the top of the bar and they, and all the other Vaulter. we had some slower vaulters and we're like yeah. how do you even do that well you put a lot of energy into the pole and energy is yeah. is is speed but i think you nailed it uh, colin that yeah speed's gonna be a technique but what you're striving for is the maximum amount of speed that you can control and, yeah uh, you nailed it yeah because <laughs> you do need both obviously <laughs> but i think people you usually try to add speed too quick and too early and that's sort where of things start to get sketchy and, and dangerous and and things break
0: well, <laughs> yeah sean, bodies and technique sean to to back up what you're saying too i remember the first year i was coaching college pole vault they, there was this this kid from uh Fairleigh dickinson university he was on a 15 gripping 14.6 and he jumped 15.9 which that's pretty good like that's you're popping yeah. off the top right he didn't turn Right,
1: yeah, that's, that's <laughs> like, what I'm saying. But like at, to 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 agree with Colin, it gets sketchy. Those multi guys—they're yeah, sure. the most fun to watch because they're the scariest it's to some watch. But,
0: yeah, but yeah, that, that's an event we need. It's like multi's only pull ball. Like, we just highlight like that. Yeah, they're getting too good. We need to bring in a new guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, so I also kind of looked at this question, and I was thinking of it from a, a training perspective, and you know. I, again i i think speed is super important if you have enough speed you will have a better push off and obviously the faster you are the more potential for a higher push off um but obviously technique goes a long way as well i think the great thing for athletes is you could do both you could strengthen condition and get faster and stronger and you can also work on your technique at the same time i think sometimes though as athletes um you know and i'd love to hear what you guys think about this you almost get stuck in a mindset as an athlete, like either or like, I'm going to really focus on my training right now and get really fast and strong and like, f- screw the pole. vault. Like I'll still keep jumping, but I know if I hit better training numbers, I'll be, I'll get better. Or it's like, you're like, all right, forget my training. I got to really just figure out this technical stuff. And it's like, I, I feel like there's a be- you can blend both of those mindsets. I don't think it has to be either or, but I, I do see athletes sometimes that get caught in that. What, what do you guys think about that?
1: Yeah. I think, I think you nailed it. I think early on technique is going to improve your heights faster just because the pole vault is so hard to learn. There's so much technique to learn that if you just learn how to plant right, you're going to jump a foot higher. <laughs> you know? right. It goes really quick. Um, as you get toward the other end of the spectrum, Mike, where I was uh, like as an elite pole vaulter, um, it was, it was a combination of both, but a lot of the days it was, all right, I need, there's three speed days. There's two vault days and there's a recovery day and then Saturdays are like let's see how you're feeling. It's probably a temple day where you might throw up. You know, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's kind of how it was. Right. So yeah, it is a, for sure a combination of both. But I think that range matters based on where you are in your pole vault, you know, journey lifespan. However you want to say right.
2: Yeah, you said you pretty much said exactly what I was I was going to go for. Where I think that if I were depending on where you are as a vaulter, so if you're just getting started, I'd say you really want to learn and get your technique because you want to have good habits. And cause the second you start learning to flag and you're just okay with it because you you're bringing down this, you know, 10, 10, meters speed down the runway. Yeah. You're running super fast, but you're going to create a ceiling for yourself because your, your technique has been, you know, like halted at a certain point. And so I would say, hey, if you're early on, like make sure you get that your technique is, you know, pretty pretty solid. You have a good base, and then, you know, as you're adding more speed to it, then it's going to be able to where you're adding them at the same time. Uh, and especially if you're in college and if you've been doing this for four five years as a vaulter, like you're going to want to make sure that you're, you're doing both of them at the same time, because if you if your speed's going to, you know, stop, if you stop focusing on your speed, then, and, but your technique gets great. You're not going to be able to maybe increase on your poles as you like, or if your speed gets really good, but your technique lacks, like you might be building bad habits. So it's a mixture of both. You definitely need to do both of them. Um, for sure. I
1: think an interesting thing though, is if you look at, um, like Jeff Hartwig, He was getting slower at the end of his career, but his technique was still getting better and he was still jumping higher. So it's like, you never, you never stop learning technique in the sport. (laughs) Exactly. It's, it's a, it's a, the problem you'll never solve, you know, pole vault. And that's what keeps it so fun and addicting. I think is that you learn something new and then, you know, it, it, changes everything You meet a new kid who might be short and fast and another one who's tall and slower and they jump completely different, but the physics is the same. And, and that's where it's just a constant puzzle of technical learning that you're going to be doing your entire pole ball career.
0: Yeah. I, I, even just to add to that and then I'll get to the next question. Um, I, I think the thing is like, you could literally be doing the same drill focused on the same skill, but because of the level or stage you are in your development, your, even your mental approach is different, you know, and you can figure it out in a new way. It's almost like reading a book for the 10th time or watching a movie for the 10th time. It's like you see things or understand things that you didn't understand or see before. And so there's always that, that next level, you know, of the puzzle. Um, let, let's see what you guys think about this one. Um, I got a, an emailed question and it said, um, i think this is from a parent i've heard many coaches talk about using mid marks do you have any information explaining how to find a mid mark and how to use it i have a daughter who has been vaulting for six years and my son for three years coaches in our area or perhaps it's high school coaches uh use the takeoff mark not a mid mark both my kids have a tendency to take off under. My son's back was recently injured, and I believe it's related to him being ripped off the ground. I think utilizing a mid-mark could help troubleshoot their approach, but I'm not sure how to find it. Any information you can provide would be appreciated. I mean, I'm going to send her a, a mid-chart, um, but what, what do you guys think about that?
1: Well, what, what mid-mark do you guys use? Do you use three out or four four out? Four. four. I use four at the club. Okay. Colin, did you use mid-marks?
2: So I'm a guy, I never even knew what they meant. <laughs> I was just, yeah. like my coach would be like, yeah, your mid was 52. I'm like, no idea what that means, but thanks coach. Like I I just, like I, I didn't focus on it as much because my run was super, super consistent. Like I was always on the, like every single time. Like, so it was just like a great, glad to hear it. It's the same thing it always was. So I didn't really focus on it and never really knew what they meant like I know uh, it's like
0: you'd be the guy I was like hey catch my mid and, and let's say my mid's supposed to be like 48 you'd be like ah, uh, 24 <laughs> and I'd be like what no way like what are you where what are you watching was like, it was good though I
2: swear I swear it was perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I'm not the best person to say if if it's on or not if when but when it comes to the the take yeah takeoffs I know I know that very well and back injuries because I injured my back as well but when it comes to mid-marks, yeah, I think you guys are, are a little bit better versed on the importance of it. So I'll let you guys kind of take that one.
1: Go ahead. So I – I it's just another tool
2: <laughs> to put
1: in your toolbox, so to say. Yeah. Uh, uh, I never used mid-marks until I moved back down to Minnesota and started jumping with the University of Minnesota coaches. And what we found was I didn't think I needed them because my takeoff step was always in the right spot. But I was always – I was really good at putting my foot where it needed to go. Just like, you know, long jumpers do the same thing. They, they kind of steer, you know, where their foot's supposed to go. You know, they say, don't look at the board, but everyone looks at the board. That's, that's kind of the idea behind it. And so what we were finding was my mid mark was moving around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened, it was like, well, what's going on in the first half of my run. So I could hit this consistently. So I could hit this consistently And I have a weird little skip in my approach to so what we did was we, with the skip we added one more mark I had to hit and then we if the mid mark was on and it made everything way more consistent but what you find is you know if you hit say you're taking off at 13 feet or something 12 feet let's go high school kids like 12 feet uh, you can hit it you know leaning back a little bit and you're hitting the brakes or you can hit it really good where you're leaning forward and you also, forces in the ground, or you just hit it dead on, and so there's a lot of ways to still hit that same mark that can screw right. up a back or a shoulder or something like that. So, yeah, mid marks are are can help if you know how to, how to use them. But I'll I'll let you explain how you find mid marks.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the thing that I would say also is like going off of what you just said, you could sometimes just catch takeoff, and you're like, oh my god, you're under six inches. Move back. You're under again. Move back. You're under again. Move back. And before you know it, now the person's like overstriding to get to takeoff. And then, I mean, talk about yeah, you could easily hurt your back there lunging into it, right? And now you have no impulse to really like move that pole and you get stood up. So there's a lot of issues there. And like you said, the mid mark is just an additional tool. And even what you said, Sean, like about how you guys were able to now start to like watch the beginning of the run versus the middle and end and and how you kind of develop that run because you were good at steering. You, you were able to get that foot in the same spot. I think that that's where the mid becomes super important because you can catch the mid and it develops your coaching eye. So for the person who asked this question, I think this is an important tool. I've even mentioned to people like I recently spoke to a coach who I was like, listen, like you're constantly recording everything on the iPad. And the thing is, you're not watching the run. Like you have to watch the run. Like if you need to record it, that's great. Have somebody else record it. You know what I mean? But like watch the run and try to see this development, right? Because now you can help the athlete more. The other thing that I would add is like, I think the mid mark can help, but if athletes are taking off under over and over and over again, you really got to start one left out two left out and develop that out takeoff if that's what you're looking for to try to alleviate some of the stress on the back. Because I know exactly what this parent's talking about. There's just some people that they'll just run into it, run into it, run into it. So it's like the only way you're going to break that is by literally literally drilling it into them. You have to do a one left, make sure they jump before the pole hits the back of the box, right? Then you do it from two left, and then they get comfortable from three left. And hopefully that helps. The other thing that I, I would add is like I think volume is is a, a, a big uh, a big cause of injury. You know, when we have too ma- too many jumps, too much of a heavy volume, because we're trying to fix the jump, and we're like, okay, if we just fix it, you won't have back pain, or if we just fix it, you'll jump from out. But the thing is, if you start to go too much in volume, that's where you're going to have back issues, no matter how good y- your takeoff is, I think. I, I, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. The, um – the mid mark for my, for what I do know of it is that it'll, it'll show you which part of your run you're having issues with. Uh, so if it's like, Hey, if you're always, if it's like, Hey, you're, you're spot on because you're steering at the end, but you're, you're early on your, your take your mid mark or you're, you're behind or, or maybe you're, you're spot on on your mid mark. Like here, this is a good example I would have. Like if you're spot on on your mid mark, but then you're, way out on your, you know, your, your ending jump or on your takeoff. And it's like, okay, maybe it's like, it's something on the second half of your run that's going on. Maybe you're tired. Maybe your technique is going, is, you know, is, is going a little bit, you're dropping your knees, whatever you're lunging, whatever it is. Like, so it, your mid mark can give you just more data to tell you, right. Which part of my run am I having issues with? So like, if your if your son is like having back pains because he's getting ripped off the ground, but like your takeoff is going to be the same number. If you don't have your mid mark, you're not going to know, okay, is it his first couple steps that are strides that are off? Or is it the last couple strides? Like you're not going to be able to know that unless you, like, if you know what the tempo that you're listening for, but if you have a mid mark, that'll let you know really well, like, Hey, you're three feet over your mark right now. So we have to, either we have to, you know, do something with your run, move you back a, a few, a few inches and, and, you know, reattack this thing. So it just gives you more data so that you know where you're messing up.
0: Sean, was there anything you wanted to add on that?
1: Well, you're just talking about volume and I, I was going to totally agree with you. If people, if things start breaking down, technically, I mean, you're bound to get hurt at that point too. Usually the hips start coming forward a little bit and you start getting an interior pelvic tilt, and then you know your chest comes through and then back start to hurt and shoulders you know it just it, timing gets so you're Hello, <laughs> sorry phone went Hello, off. wife's texting me <laughs> uh, but yeah when uh, when uh I've, I've told totally lost oh yeah volume. volume that's what we're talking about uh, yeah when your technique starts to go that just creates you know positions you can take off and that's essentially gonna hurt you that's where you know you know I take a lot of reps from one in two lefts early on in my season, almost like a ton of them, just because the speed's slow enough where yeah. I do have technical things off a little bit. I'm not going to break versus going back to my full approach, grabbing my biggest pull right. and going, all right, let's just rip this up. And, you know, My arm would get ripped off.
0: Probably. Yeah. And, and I love that you bring up the hips because I feel like a lot of people don't realize like, you know, and I'm, I'll stand up just to show people, but it's like, you don't want your hips to tilt forward like that. You got to keep your hips up when you're running. And it's like, you see that it's so common, like people lose their hips, they're running backside and they just slam into it. And so like, like you're saying, if you try to correct that now from five, six, seven lefts, that might be a little bit tough. Like, like you said, bringing it into one or two lefts, you can start to work on that and really make a, a huge difference. Um, even this week, uh, we had a new vaulter start coming into the club and I've been really focusing on the hips and front side running mechanics. And like, she's kind of getting on these poles and grips that she's never got on from really short which I'm glad, I think she's connecting the dots. She's like, oh my God, what's gonna happen when I go to my full approach now? I'm gonna be on huge poles. So that, that's, that's super awesome. Um, I have one more question and I'm sure, Sean, you probably gotta go. Uh, <laughs> <I'm worse>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this question, I don't know how much we could all help, but someone asked, why is it more common to have a one foot peg gap at the top of the standards? <laughs>
1: This makes your PR higher when you jump the bigger peg. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's it just cause it's like, uh, it's an easier, an easier metric. I mean, just like have one foot, one foot, one foot, nice and clean. Like when you're, when you're at practices, it's like, okay, you just put, you can put two different bungees, three different feet, whatever it is makes yeah. it easy. Where if you have, if you have pegs every six inches, it's like yeah it's it's great for when you're in you know competition except you're not supposed to go from one peg to another like you're you're actually supposed to keep it on right, you know, right. the same peg so you're really not even supposed to do changing it's like well now they're all so close and it's like what's the it's like what's the point now it's well, like they're and, all super close so when i think it's just
0: close if like you hit a crossbar they could like just hit each yeah. other and just stick on um, the other thing is people are more likely to make a mistake and like mess up which peg it's supposed to be on the other thing i would obviously assume is that the manufacturers just it's a bigger cost like they've got to put more pegs the pegs cost money and they're like whatever this is just simpler um otherwise i don't know um
1: yeah i don't have that answer either you know if I'm thinking from a business perspective, it would make more sense that if the sti- the top peg only goes to 12, you know, even if you put it a foot, at least you can move it back up that six inches to get that bar you can't get. But right. yeah, I never thought about that. That's weird. I know like the uh, at the elite competitions, they don't even have the second peg. All they have is the right all over the place. Yeah. So. It's a good question. Thanks for breaking Why, I, my I, brain.
0: <laughs> I, I remember it in UCS one year, they started making it where the top of the standard was like uh, slanted down so that you couldn't get the crossbar to stick on top of the standards. Cause sometimes that happens. And in a crowd, like visually, you're like, Oh my God, they made it. And they're like, no, it's on top of the standard. So everybody <laughs> boos and mm-hmm. It's a rough situation. Um, I guess we'll end the podcast. One, this has been an amazing episode. Um, why don't you guys tell everybody how they can reach out or where they could follow you or listen to you? And, and you know, again, thank you guys.
1: Sean? Yeah. Uh, so, team shootcom has all my social media and everything you could probably find on there and, and the YouTube blogs. So, I would, I would
0: team-hoot.com, you're good to go also yeah. everybody should buy that book. Uh, you know, the pole vault toolbox is amazing. There's so many different drills on there. I mean, p- when people ask me, I always recommend that book. I also recommend beginner to but I, you know, it's like, th- those are the books. I-, I feel like if you have those two yeah. books, that's a great way to start. If you're trying to learn the pole vault and, and again, Sean, thank you for making that book. Oh, no, I appreciate, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Colin. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm. Uh, if you want to follow me or my my podcast, it's uh, at trackworldnews. World News. Um, we're actually going to have some uh, some pretty interesting stuff coming in in March. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed. The website should be coming out sometime soon. And um, if you wanted to see me and my personal face, uh, that'd be C underscore W A I T Z twenty eight. If you wanted to to follow my stuff, awesome.
0: Um, for everybody that's listening or watching, thank you. Uh, please hit subscribe uh, on YouTube or Apple iTunes. That would be great. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's uh, The Real Apex Vaulting, and we're Apex Vaulting on Facebook and Twitter. And again, we're going to be doing weekly podcasts, and we're going to try to answer as many questions as we can. So just email us your questions at apexvaulting at gmail.com, um, or you can also DM us uh, on Instagram. Again, thank you guys for joining, and thank you, everybody, for watching.
1: Thank you.